Welcome to the Fit and Faith Podcast. Fit is an acronym representing founders, innovators, and trailblazers who are looking to live a life wholly, fully, authentically, and truly fit. A space for us to connect on the raw, real stories of mind, body, and soul alignment of entrepreneurs and kingdom leaders. I'm your host, Tamara Andress, and this podcast isn't like the cookie cutter interview experience. I've been coined the entrepreneurial rabbi, and so we do go there, unscripted. No matter how far, wide, deep, or high the there is, my desire is to see people rise from the inside out into their greatest calling by sharing their truest stories, talents, and tips. As a purpose activator and brand builder, I believe our successes and failures are derived from who and whose we are, not what we do. But strategy and vision are equally as important to the mission. So let's cut to the chase together and get fit in faith. I love those two words together from the perspective of parenthood, right? Like protecting and promoting. I mean, isn't that what we all need? And and from a parental perspective, whether your parents here or not, whether you're the parent or the grandparent or any of the things, we all need that. And knowing that that source exists for me, God, right? It's like, I am sure of it. And the fact that in Christianity, knowing that God did it through Jesus to example that very thing to us that he was like, I'm going to put myself in this position to be able to showcase and shed light based on the fact that I get it as a parent. I get that it's hard. And yet I'm still going to promote and protect him even when all odds are against him, which is exactly what happened when he was here. I'm curious as you're teaching and training other people this, especially in the realm of kind of the sports agency that you were kind of starting in when you co-founded that and then the CEO of Lee and Steinberg Sports. You know, I think about I think about the mentality of an athlete and I was in gymnast for 16 years and I am I'm so ingrained in watching my son, who is now very ingrained in jujitsu, develop the energy and develop the mentality towards sports. And protection is a big component of that. I always call him my little David. And every time he goes out, he's about to fight a Goliath. And I'm like, you've got this. And I remember the very first time he got off the mat at a competition, he comes running towards me so excited. And he puts his fingers and he said, I got him right there, right? Like he slung the the slingshot to Goliath and knocked him down and he tapped out. But how do you help somebody who is so forward driven in the outcome, the outcome being the win, understand that there's a promoter, a protector, and that there is more to life than just the win, knowing that failure is equally as important? It's so interesting because uh, obviously I have four children and deal with this all the time. And I call it the zero sum game. I talk about abundance that everyone can win. And everybody wins when everyone does their best everyone learns lessons and everyone has fun. So it's not everybody gets a trophy. There's still a competition of doing your best in some of the sports out there and in academia and other places that your best can quantifiably be less than somebody else's best, Mm. but it's the same value. You're both winning, uh, although they're quantitatively. So what I try to do is attach the emotions, the energy and motion to enjoying the consistency every day and persistency without quit, pursuit of your own potential. It takes a rare mind, a rare athlete, a rare celebrity, a rare entertainer, a rare billionaire that can rejoice in their pursuit 
of happiness, not in happiness itself. So, uh, you know, Chris Gardner is a friend of mine who wrote the book Pursuit of Happiness. I always tell him he got it wrong. You should have named the movie Happiness is the Pursuit. And so if I can teach people to pursue their potential uh, and still, still quantitatively look at a result, but not attach the emotions to the result, but more into did you do your best? Did you learn lessons and have fun? We can have best of both worlds in a non-zero-sum game, a world of more than enough of everything for everyone. So powerful. And I think the pursuit, right? This is a, a conversation around purpose all the time. Is everyone searching for their purpose? What is my calling? Why am I here, right? It's so existential. And at the same time, the protector, the promoter, the creator, God, he's just like, your purpose is the fact that you're breathing in this moment. And so can't today be a win? Can't today be a celebration? Can't today be happy regardless of the circumstances around us? And I think it's hard for people to flip the script on that because there is such a massive comparison game out there. How do you help people with the like unlocking of the potential and the process of purpose acquisition, which really is a destination eventually, which I think is on the other side of heaven. But how do you do it here on this side of heaven with our feet planted on the ground? I tell people thoughts come first and your thoughts about your purpose are your purpose. And I shift the paradigm and perspective when it comes to purpose, passion, and even profitability. I let people understand I am happy. I am healthy. I am wealthy. I am worthy. Let's figure out what I'm doing to interfere with it. You see, if I'm connected to and through the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, if I'm living in a world of more than enough of everything for everyone, then all I need to do is figure out what I'm doing to interfere with that abundance. I was reading your bio and everything that you've done. It was like a rap sheet of entrepreneurial heaven. I'm like, I want in on all the things like this is so good. I was loving just some of the language around dream manager program. I'm like, yes, I love from how to wow. I'm like, yes, more people need to know how to do that. And just everything that you've evolved into with multiple podcasts and a live show and uh, agency. And so I want to go to the backstory. I want to know how Kate like got into all of this. Have you just exploded creativity since you were little or what? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. You know, I was just, I just took a walk with a friend of mine the other day and, and he asked me that. He said, where did this come from? Just this like positivity and you just like create all these things. And honestly, I don't even know. I think I'm sure, look, when we're kids, we're all creative, right? We just, everything is creative. We think that we can For do sure. anything and, and be anything. But really, I attribute a lot of my kind of business creativity from when I was working at the Chamber of Commerce, because I felt so empowered by it within my role. I was an entrepreneur. I took total ownership of what I was doing. And my boss at the time, he was just like, oh, okay. Like, oh, she created this program and now she's doing this. And like, as long as it served the mission and as long oh, as yeah. it was helpful, they were like, go for it. And so I think this is why I have such a love of what I get to do right now, which is helping people, you know, live out their dreams and, and not only their dreams personally, but also professionally, because when, when you get to combine the two, there's no better feeling. 
I agree completely. And I think understanding that there's like this evolution of time where you were entrusted with the creation phase and you got to see what worked and what didn't work and kind of in the entrepreneur realm of safe haven in when it's associated to spending somebody else's money, <laughs> knowing that you're safe in that harbor, right? Like you can do it, but it sounds like your boss really allowed you to explore and was just like, yeah, go for it, which is really what I think from an, an entrepreneur who has a team is my passion and desire to help cultivate and nurture within the people who I serve alongside, because I want them to flourish in the areas of creativity and not feel like they're coming to me knocking on the door to do something, but instead have ownership and empowerment to be able to have that sense of authority and say, yeah, let me create something different. Yeah. Oh, and I, that's why I love leaders like you, because more people need that. They need to find that. And the background that I came from, obviously, working at a chamber of commerce, not only did I get to do this work, but I was serving a community. I was serving community of entrepreneurs and business owners. And so I got to discover what did they need? What were the needs that they had? And so by doing that, that's why I created these programs like the women's program and like our young professionals and and these smaller group uh, CEO executive roundtables. Those are things that, you know, I was in my 20s at the time. I didn't know what these CEOs needed, but just having these conversations with them. But it also opened my eyes to community. I got to learn about advocacy and the and being able to kind of understand entrepreneurship and what that looks like. And I just learned so much. And just again, like when we were younger, I didn't really question anything. Like I kind of started enjoying writing and I immediately went to the local new, uh, magazine and I said, hey, can I write for you? Like I didn't even think. <laughs> you're not thinking about rules and regulations no. or like clout or you're just like, this sounds fun. I was like, I think it'd be fun to write for you. Can I do that? And, you know, and I actually did, I had a whole column in the new, in the magazine and I didn't even think that they were going to say no. I mean, who would say no? What, you know? And, and so, <laughs> and I feel like so much of that was pre social media. It was pre all of these right. reels we see of people. And so I, I had no other way, like everything that I thought I wanted to create, I just did. I mean, right when YouTube came out, I was like, Oh, what's this? Let me put some videos on it. You know, I wasn't, I didn't question. But what if, what if, as we cultivate dreams, not only our own, but that of others, what if we allowed them the freedom to experience a, like exploration, creativity, as if it were fun, as if there was not a no, as if there wasn't comparison, as if there wasn't rejection, right? So I wasn't the kid that said, when I'm 18, I'm out of church. I was like hooked. And, uh, but I wanted to be like a cool Christian, which is what I became. So <laughs> I wasn't like an overly religious guy. I was like just really Jesified. I got really into Christ. Southern California, we had it made because there's a movement called Calvary Chapel that was started by Chuck Smith. And that went to over 10,000 people at just one church. And out of his church, he discipled uh, so many amazing guys that all have churches of seven, eight, nine, ten thousand people. So I was around a, an area where there was a lot of Jesus talk and uh, like Jesus really changed my life. And that's 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 where I flow from. It's incredible. And I think that's what a lot of people might get wrong. Right. And not wrong, per se, because testimonies and God uses all things for good. But like 
they they can't tap into that Jesus Jesus Jesusification Jesus yeah. whatever you know they can't yeah. tap in to just that spirit led piece and and I'm curious when you I'm sure you've studied so many different pastors and been a part of so many movements um, one that really touched home for me in the last several years has been with Francis Chan and so what is your perspective on like that home church understanding knowing that you were actually founded in a church with your family yeah, I think Francis Chan is phenomenal, uh, great leader, great mind. So, you know, when I went to, to seminary, to a Christian university, uh, I never knew that, that, that God would give me such a big platform. I just went there to learn about the things of God so I could go help the underdog because I'm primarily an, uh, a humanitarian. Um, but as I begin to see all these different streams of the way things are done in the church, some of them I took to and a lot of them I did not. But I was never vocal about what did not fit my appetite. I just did things in what I call the Jesus style. And I found that that worked wherever I took it. So whether I, from the Hollywood Bible study that I started in 1992 at the house of a legend and begin to touch the biggest names in Hollywood, like the older people, and then began to help, you know, some of the younger people. And then this, to this day, now I, I life coach over 300 entertainers. But that was not anything that I ordered from Life's Menu. I believe it was an assignment from God. That is incredible. Ordering from Life's Menu. How many times do people see something and they're like, that's for me, right? And it's actually not God's will or intention at all. And they end up going on this path and they can't get off of it. Or yet they seem like they're in such momentum or a rat wheel that they don't have the ability to. And I think right. when I think through the miracle mentality, like that could be the messy, that could be the mundane, that could be all everything except for the miracle. How have you seen some of the people that you've coached or just people in general who have done this and how do you help them get off into the miracle mentality mindset? Yeah. First of all, thanks for going through the book so many times and um, being a friend to me and the book, which is doing quite well. But I think that, you know, life is actually more simple than we make it. I think the outside things that we face on a daily basis is what complicates what God has put inside of us. So when you go down to Ephesians 2.10, and it says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do, wow, to do, that's an action word, good works. So what does God call Tamra to do? Good works. What does God call Tim Story to do? Good works. So you being a family woman, you being a good wife, you being a good spokesperson for God, those are all part of the good works. So me serving people in all these countries as a humanitarian who is spirit-filled, that's good works. All the other stuff is pressure that's usually not coming from anything that has to do with God. So living a kingdom life, honestly, and helping other women to really live. I came out of a painful place of being a Christian, being a believer, um, but not having any fruit of the spirit to be honest. Um, I wouldn't have told you that and I would have probably not admitted it, but it was truth. I was dealing yeah. with anxiety, doubt, worry, fear on a daily basis and trying to hold all the balls in the air and do all the things and really had um, uh, a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it just 
um, really transform things. And it's just, uh, I want other women to feel his presence every day um, and just walk into their kingdom assignment um, passionately. And because I've been from, I grew up in a um, direct sales family, Tamara. Wow. So I watched my father empowering women and he had five daughters. Wow. And I watched him and a real cool story about um, his mother, if we get to that, but watched him empowering um, women my whole life and wanting them being, being in and around direct sales and network marketing almost my, I'm 55. So most of my life. And so when I was leaving the industry and called to coaching, God was like, well, of course I'm keeping you in your field of favor. This is where you've been your whole career. So I do coach women of faith in the industry to really build their business on kingdom values. That's amazing. And and I'm so curious, what was his, is it the same business, the same network marketing like era or what you guys do? No, not at okay. all. So my father's 89. Um, um, he's still living amazing, but awesome. no, he is, um, he was actually, well, that's okay. So World Book Encyclopedia was my, wow. yeah, he that was, was an MLM. Well, direct sales. Okay. Direct sales. Okay. Okay. Direct sales. Yes. And so, and, and his mother, you're going to love this story. So his mom, he tells this story about, so she came over Ellis Island and um, was a super hard worker in New York city and would work in the garment district. And she came home one day, really usually with joy. And my father, he said he was about 10. He's like, mom, why do you love your work so much? <laughs> and she said, because I get paid for every piece that I finish. And so she was teaching him paid for performance compensation that mm. you didn't have to go to a nine to five and have someone else tell you what your rate was, she, whatever she could uh, finish well, wow. she would get paid for. And so that planted a deep seed in him and went on to spur his career. That is awesome. Isn't that so fun? I, yeah, it's really cool. And I think as I am a mother now to little ones and constantly being very mindful of the way that I speak about work and my creation time versus work or what does mom and dad do? We go in and we help people every day, like just really changing the language and the vernacular to what is a hardworking person look like. And uh, it's been really interesting to hear them talk about it as they're getting bigger and, and every idea that they have is very entrepreneurial driven because I'm just kind of like, Ooh, that's a good idea. What can we do with that? What can we make with that? This past week, my son decided he wants to start a new business. He had one last year during COVID, but this one he wants to start doing. And he was going to do a dog walking company. And we were prepping the flyers and he was going to walk around and do all this stuff. And we were talking about hooking Calendly up and how it was going to you know, alert him when he had to do it on the weekend. And we started really flushing out what this could look like. And he recognized that like he's only here because he has jujitsu tournaments all the time every like other weekend. And I said, that's going to prove to be really difficult for the person who needs their dog walked every weekend. Mm -hmm. And so he decided instead of taking it completely off the table because he loves animals so much, he was going to start making his own dog treats. And so he is now creating it, dog treats, it. right? It's so yes. cool. So we have been led to believe that, uh, you know, money is, is evil. And scripture actually says it's the love of money. So it's this place of greed. It's this place of money over people, money over X and Y and Z. And we don't understand that some of our thinking, the way that we perceive things are actually programming our experience. 
And so in the stuff that I do with, with my clients, I take them through this understanding of our psychology of which God gave us, which is a magic gift. And so few of us actually use it appropriately. And so I want you to think of your brain kind of like a computer and you're like good data in, bad data, or good data in, good data out, bad data in, bad data out. And so whatever you're putting into what you're hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Hello, let's find some, some symmetry here. And you start to dwell on that, meditate on my word day and night. Oh, oh, so this kind of makes sense. All right. So I started thinking about that. And my brain loves to create validation. So as I'm thinking about it, I start to believe whatever it is I put in my mind. And now my belief starts to radiate around this sense of self and how I see me. As you see yourself, so are you, right? And so in that place, now my, my life, my brain starts to create or attract the experiences, the relationships, and the opportunities that reflect the way I see me. So however you see yourself becomes an a, a, a equilibrium with your experience and vice versa because your experience is always going to reflect your belief. Beliefs will create behaviors. Behaviors will create experience. So that's kind of like the context. And now we're going to get just a little bit deeper. Let me dial you back in. Faith is the substance of things. Hope for the evidence of things unseen. So if you were to believe something inside of you, and then you speak those things that are not as though they are, suddenly you can make really powerful things happen. The problem is we've all listened to so many other voices of obligation and performance about what we should have, what we shouldn't have, our place of comparison, going back to your question. I have to have a fluent job. I have to have all this money. I have to have this, you know, Rolls Royce and all these like 2.5 kids and da, 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 da. And because I don't have those things, then I must be less than. And you've chosen that as a belief pattern. And now you believe that you are less than and operating in lack. And therefore, now your life continues to reflect lack. Frustration, anxiety, sadness, criticalness, judgment, all of those things are a product of what you believe about you. So when now you're experiencing it, we want to say that the world is broken. No, your beliefs are broken. You're creating your own reality. And the power of God is the power of dominion, authority, glory, and power. And you walk into a room and assert yourself as who he made you to be. So you've got to come from a place of supply, a place of source, a place of abundance. And that's the belief system that you take in. You start listening to all of these things. You start to believe these things. You start to understand that's who you are. That's your real true self. And now your experience begins to reflect the same. And people would say, oh, but that sounds so hard. I guess that sounds like it's going to take forever. No, it's instantaneous. The way that you get to where you want to go faster is by aligning your beliefs in agreement with who he says you are. And he will do it faster and he will do it easier than you ever thought possible. And so if you're looking at your job, if you're looking at your marriage, if you're looking at the problems in your life and you focus on the problems, you will only get more problems. And I'm not saying you're like completely ignoring or being you know, absent-minded about the stuff. You deal with the real things. But your level of belief of your influence on those things 
you're not a victim, but you're a victor, that you have authority over your part to play, that you see yourself as no longer um, being subject to their abuse, but rather you can have boundaries. Like these all of a sudden become these beliefs of power. And now your life goes to attract or create a whole higher level of relationships, experiences, and opportunities. That's so true. And that's the part of community or kingdom mind that a lot of people don't understand and why competition runs so rampant because people don't look at it from that same perspective. It's like we say community over competition or women supporting women and you don't always feel that. And so I think that it's been really amazing as I've stepped into really locking arms with other people who truly believe that on a heart level. It's created such a, a vast array of community, and it's also created that forward momentum and upward momentum because it is that iron sharpening iron and like giving ideas and sharing community platforms and really working together to make this thing, which is ultimately family. It's all about relationships and all about not just the relationship with our kids or our spouse, but the relationship with ourselves, and then our relationship with the Lord predominantly to come together in such a, a seamless way. Um, and so I'd love to talk first about the parenting side, then we'll do marriage, and then we'll talk about the hot topic of your new book release with food. Um, and it's coincidental and obviously not because God knows what he's doing, but my earlier live today was about with a health and fitness coach. And so um, there's a lot of parallel even in the conversations we were having earlier, but I do think the parenting side of it is something that's not talked about because of the shame associated to it. Um, and it's something that I think parents struggle with so much in that isolated format and they don't know what to do that then it becomes habit. And after habit, it becomes trauma. And so I'd love to hear just your perspective and what you kind of studied and how the book kind of evolved. Well, so when I realized that I wasn't living life to the full, my husband had just moved us to the Central Coast and here in California. So I was in a season of transition. I had three little boys, age four and under. My husband was gone like most of the time because he worked a, a very demanding job during the day. And then he even was up during the night, oftentimes working with clients in, in Asia. So I felt like I had just been thrown into the deep end of not knowing what I was doing and, and how to cope with these three little boys and really no support system in place. And it was overwhelming to me. And I, I operated in a, from a place of overwhelm and frustration. And I remember very clearly my husband leaving for work one day and he's dressed all nicely in his suit and tie and off he goes. And I shut the door and I look around and I'm a very neat and tidy person. And the house is kind of a mess because, you know, four little boys um, or three little boys, four and under is a lot. It, you know, your, your house gets a little messy when that happens. Yeah. yeah. Like a tornado. And, <laughs> yeah, it's like a tornado. And I, I just remember just looking at out at that and my three precious little boys and they were just kids. They weren't doing anything to upset me, but I was so frustrated. And I started to just snap, you know, like, okay, this is not okay. I got to get this mess. And, da, da, da. and I was trained. And then I'll, there was a knock on the door and I go, oh no, that whoever it is, they're going to see this mess. They're going to hear me in this like storm of chaos. When I opened the door and thankfully it was my neighbor down the street who is an older bachelor who was really hard of hearing. And I was like, okay, good. Maybe he hasn't heard me in my broken <laughs> moment right now behind closed doors. And, but when he left, I knew I was like, this is God, this is my turning point. I'm not going to operate like this anymore. This isn't working for me. 
I was still in my pajamas, like from two days before. I, I just was, again, in that place of overwhelm. And I didn't like feeling frustrated and angry all the time about it. And so I committed when my kids went to their nap time in the mid morning. In the past, that was my time to get some dishes done or do something in peace that I needed to do, or even to watch Oprah at the time Oprah was still on, you know, to watch a show for myself for just 15, 20 minutes. And I said, no, I got to get back to reading my Bible and prayer. And I was like, I got to study what it is that's causing me to be so anxiety filled and quick to frustration. So I started examining what does the Bible talk about anger? What does it say about anger? And I would just take one thing at a time. And then I would say, okay, what are my triggers? Like, what are my big moments where I'm struggling the most? And I just began to write them down and systematically address them one by one because I needed to get to the root spiritually, but I also needed to get some practical things in place. And when I didn't know what to do, I asked God for wisdom. Lord, you promised you're going to give me wisdom supernaturally. And I had to get to a place of um, crashing and burning and and to actually be at a place to want to look up and look at God. But, you know, I um, kind of walked away from, from God 18 on and then studied world religions, got into Buddhism for a while. I actually really liked Buddhism because it's got some Christian tenets to it in the underlying foundations. But at the end of the day, you get to be your own God sort of thing. And, um, and so I kind of leaned uh, Buddhist for a while and, until God finally got a hold of me. But it what was, was that? What was that experience like? Where you're like, okay, it's it's no longer if it, or when or where, but like an mm-hmm. assurance to it. Well, it was a process for me. Like yeah. I said, you know, so being a Christian was like never my to do list. I mean, I was hostile to to Christians, to organized religions, all that. I mean, I'd spit nails at you if you tried to talk to me about God. I was not having it. And so, how interesting! Um, yeah, I was, yeah, I'd rip you a new one. I mean, I was not going there. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah, I was like Paul in a nutshell. I very much relate to Paul and, and Peter, both of them, yep. very much in that. And so, like I said, I just, it was a series of things going on within my relationship with my husband. We weren't married at the time. And then my dad dying of cancer. And it was, it was just, you know, layers of trying to do things on my own and carrying that book bag, you know, that got heavier and heavier and weightier and weightier over the years. And it it was the two of those things at once that simultaneously, I just couldn't carry it anymore. And so I, I, that's when I walked back into church, my sister invited me in. And um, it was pretty cool. I, I actually heard God speak to me before even becoming a believer. So I walked into that church and he said very loudly, you're home. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, I've gone crazy. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> like I'm hearing voices like, what the heck? You know, that was like the first like millisecond thought. But then I, um, I knew who had said that even as an unbeliever because of such turmoil growing up in, with family life. You know, I always kind of felt like an orphan, always felt like, you know, I, I could be in a room full of people and I would still feel alone. And God is the only one that knew that. So when he said, you're home, I knew exactly who had spoken, even as an unbeliever. And then I just gradually started started coming, seeing people that had things that, that I didn't have, you know, and, um, and eventually I gave my life to Christ. And it's wow. been, been a journey and exciting, exciting journey ever since. That is incredible. And I think you started the story in a place that can still be a conversation that people are wrestling with at this point, which is mm-hmm. that concept of hypocrisy connected to religion, um, world religions of all sorts, but even within Christianity and like mm-hmm. denominational sectors. And I was at a retreat recently with some women and we were all sharing our stories and just like showing the love of the Lord and the fruit of the Lord that had been transpired in our our different 
walks of life. And it was her turn to share. And she just very boldly and almost like with anger was like, where have you all been hiding my whole life? Why are you hiding under a rock? And she, again, grew up organized religion, lives in our backyard. And it's to think for a couple of things, I was immediately convicted like, whoa, I'm not being a very good neighbor if this person feels like they've been isolated. And two, another reminder of the fact that even in the church, that's where a lot of isolation and hypocrisy are taking place that it's hard for people to even experience God or the Holy spirit in that space. And so it's really interesting that you had that, that growth and yet it's something that still is transpiring. So you have such an empathetic lens towards it. That's awesome. And I think so many parts of how you're sharing is like that ease ability, right? Of being able to show up um, and doing so even with children, knowing, yes, there's some tensions and some things that are hard and difficult in that, but that it's easeable, it's possible. And also knowing that you can actually do so from the comfort of your own home, which nowadays, after what people were referring to as the great resignation with everything that occurred with COVID, Mm -hmm. this is like a very hot topic. And people are shifting into owning their own business faster than they ever have in any historical year to date. And I think it's so important for us to, to give the example and to show up. But more than anything that you said, my favorite part about it was this idea of community. And so let's talk about the like the premise and the foundation of developing community and then saying yes to that dream, even in spite of everything else that's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, people want to be in community, right? That's not something that's groundbreaking. It's it's something that all of us has that, you know, we all have that innate desire inside of us to be a part of a community in some form. And I think to your point, with the amount of people that are leaving their jobs and going full time in their business, and there's a lot of women, there's a lot of moms, right? Um, you know, it, it can feel like a very lonely road. Um, you know, if you go down it, there are going to be people who question what you're doing, who question like, you know, what's what's happening, right? Who maybe don't totally agree or are on board with your dream and with where you're going. And so I think that just, you know, further emphasizes the desire and the need for community. And so in my community, it's all women who are running their own businesses, right? Many of them moms, not all, um, who are, you know, running businesses and growing businesses while they're also growing families. And so when you can be in community, even if it's a virtual community with other people who get that and understand that, I think that's where the power comes from. It's like, oh, I'm not crazy, right? Like I actually am more normal than I realize the, the issues and the challenges that I'm facing are not brand new to me. Like there's a lot of comfort in that, that I think, you know, is important when it comes to community. And so how do you create that community? It's, it's so funny, right? Because people, they overthink this part. And I always go back to with my clients, well, how do you build relationships offline? Because that's exactly how you're going to build relationships online. Yes, it's a different, you know, form of relationship. It's a different platform. But how would you go meet somebody offline? Like, what would you say, right? How would you interact with them? What's your personality style like? Because that's everything that you would use, right, to build your own community online as well. And so it's less about, like, making sure you pick the perfect platform, because I don't think there is a perfect platform, um, and more about, like, how do I want to build this community? Like, if this is my community, if this is my party, how do I want to show up? What does that look like? And I don't think that you should do it differently than you would offline, right? Like you're, you want people to literally, here, here's a quick story, right? I had somebody meet me from, they were part of my Facebook group and they met me in real life, okay? And they literally said to me, you are exactly the same 
Like you are exactly the same. And that was the highest like form of compliment. Yeah, for sure. Is because I am literally building my community in the same way that I would, you know, throw a house party and have everybody over to my house. It gets the same same environment. And I think that gives people a lot of, a lot of just, I guess I'll say this, it helps relieve some of the expectations that we yeah. have around how should I show up? Because a lot of people are feeling like they have to show up and build a community in a very manufactured way. Like I need to do it in this way when it's completely different from how they would actually show up and, and build relationships offline. And if we just get 1% better every single day, we will be a completely transformed person. Well, if that works in the business sector, why wouldn't that work in the spiritual sector? I'm going to be 1% better. I'm going to spend one more minute communicating with God. I'm going to forgive that person one more time. You know, I'm going to say one last bad word, whatever it may be. But I wonder if that would apply to our lives. Like, being a follower of Jesus isn't just showing up at church. It is looking like Jesus Monday through Saturday. And that's what I want people to know. The church isn't going to be. I think. No, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say like the sustenance that you get when you do spend that five minutes, it's you want, and you, you don't even think about it. You end up spending six and then seven (laughs) and then eight and then associated to atomic habits. You're now creating a habit stack. That's like anytime you're waiting for your coffee to brew instead of coffee and then Jesus, it's like Jesus while I wait for the coffee, like let's brew together. Right. And so you're, you're creating this element of practice that is really that it's practice, it's progression, it's sanctification Yes. doesn't have to be so serious. It is. It's very important. I'm conviction, convicted on the daily for different things, but it's like, it doesn't have to be so structured, I guess is what I should say, rather yes. than serious, yes. because it is a serious conversation. Yes. We've made a religion out of our relationship with God. And I, I that feels cliche, but it really has. Like we have, we've almost made it like this tick box things that we have to do. Yeah. No, it's literally, how, how awkward and weird would it be if we went to dinner and I had my to-do list Okay, Tamara, tell me that you love me. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about your pain. Oh, you want me to forgive you? Like, how weird is that? We approach God in this way. And I'm like, can we just keep it real? Like God wants us to be real with him. Have a normal conversation, like a normal friend, because that's what he is. He says, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. So I get, I get turned up about that. I love it. And thank God for the chat right now, because James Clear is the atomic habit. <laughs> James, we're going to tag you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I love it. So I just feel, I mean, there's so many different ways that we could go with this conversation right now. And I, I really think that one of the biggest things that is so critical and it's associated to identity is this conversation of sex. It's this conversation of shame associated to sex um, and sex, whether it's identity or sex, whether it's intimacy, um, because this is not only a part of my story. It's a part of the book that I wrote, Always Becoming Sex, Shame and Love. I want to send you a copy after this. So I got to get your Addy before you leave. But it, I just said, Addy, I am just like coming out hot with some good lingo today. Oh, my gosh. My eight year old's rubbing off on me already. Uh, but really, Jasmine, I want I want to hear I just called you your sister's name, Bianca. What is what is it that you're really feeling is the word for not just women, but for adolescents 
who are walking through the fire of who they are in the Lord or not even knowing the Lord, but they're being pressured constantly, whether it's through Instagram, Snapchat, all of these places to devalue who it is that they are. Uh, Wait, I'm so sorry. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, just like in the conversation associated to shame, connected to sex, connected to like God's desire for sex and intimacy in our covenant marriage and how there's just a lot of demoralization and devaluation of our sex, sexual identity connected to love, I guess, is really the end all be all. So I think I just want to make sure that I'm answering. I, I think I'll take a stab at it. And if I'm yeah, mis- go for it. Yeah, I'm sure it's. Um, you know, from the beginning of time, I think one of the enemy's greatest tactics is hanging shame over our neck, like a yoke of bondage. And um, I am passionate about healthy relationships. Uh, from the very beginning, the book of Genesis, uh, God says, let us make man in our image. In Hebrew, that word is Elohim. El is God, Elo- which is singular. Elohim is God, plural. So if God was in community, God wants us to be in community. Have you ever just wanted to retreat I always think of palm trees and blue crystal oceans when I think about that. But the actual definition of retreat is to withdraw from enemy forces as a result of their superior power or after defeat. Maybe you feel defeated. Maybe you feel like every day is a fight. Maybe even in your own home, it feels like a fight. I invite you to join me on an adventure, an adventure that's also an opportunity for you to exhale finally, to understand the power of your personal life, the love from your father and how much that love is meant to be gifted vibrantly to others, but it has to start with self so that you can live the life you are determined and destined to live. And that legacy that I know you crave becomes an easy thumbprint, an easy footprint, an easy element from your voice, your heart, your mind, and your actions. We're going to Costa Rica, and then we're going to Puerto Rico in 2023. So if you want some true R&R, you want to have all the things, all the details taken care of you, you just need to get out of the enemy territory. You want to come and move your body and be fueled from the inside out and have a spa and worship and walk and explore culture and just to know that you again, have an opportunity to pray in to who you're meant to become. All the links are available below and we can't wait to see you there. I can't wait to spoil you. And I hope you like surprises because I keep a lot of things in my back pocket and that way you can feel even more spoiled. Hope to see you there. Hey y'all, it's me again. Before you go, let's solidify the flame that was ignited within you today by sharing the spark with your own community. Whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually, I would love for you to take the step right now by declaring your takeaway. Snap a pic of the episode and share it on your stories or posts, and you can tag me and the guest, and we will surely feature you on our Instas. Hey, you might even unlock a new accountability buddy in me or them. We're totally in this together and we appreciate the extra step taken. 
I would be so grateful if you even took the extra step. Come on, give me that extra sauce and leave a review on iTunes for the podcast listening app that is of your choice. I'm going to be featuring your thoughts, in fact, and this is going to be so fun in upcoming episodes. So you'll not only hear your name on the show, but maybe even your passion project or whatever big shout out you want me to make. So please, as a fellow writer, leave some words that I can attest to, and I can't wait to read what you have to say. Thanks again for being a loyal listener, and I hope to meet you in person soon at one of the events that we are speaking at or hosting. And I say we because the Fit and Fake team could not do this without you. Until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. This is the Fit and Faith Way. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.